Well, hey, everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. And right now at Melbourne Heights, we are going through a series of sermons where we're looking at some of the events that take place during Holy Week. And we're doing this for a reason. During Holy Week, Jesus experiences some of the most difficult events in the history of his life, but his faith in God never wavers. And over the last year, we have been going through one of the most difficult times that any of us have faced in modern history. So we need to be able to learn from Jesus' example how we can follow God when we face difficult times. So in this week's sermon, we are going to be exploring an event that takes place on the Tuesday of Holy Week. And I'll go ahead and let you know that the event that takes place on Tuesday of Holy Week, it just doesn't seem to fit in with everything else that happens during this week. On Tuesday, Jesus is walking along and he runs across a fig tree that isn't growing any figs. So Jesus curses this tree and it withers up. And you might be wondering what that has to do with how we can follow God during difficult times. But believe it or not, this story can teach us a whole lot about one of the most important things that we can do to continue to grow closer to God and follow him even when we face difficult times in our lives. So let's get right into this episode sermon. Do you know what this is a picture of? This is a picture of the fruit of the ficus carica, which is a flowering Asian plant that's common throughout Western Asia as well as the Middle East. But you probably know this by another name. This plant is better known as the fig tree. So the fruit that we just showed you, the picture that we just showed you is a fig. But don't feel too bad if you didn't know that that's what a fig looked like, because the truth of the matter is, until I found that picture in a Google image search, I had no idea what a fig looked like either. And that's because up until I started working on this sermon, the only fig that I was familiar with was a fig newton. And since my knowledge of figs was limited to cookies, I was actually surprised to learn that back in 2017, which is the most recent year that we have statistics for, there were actually two and a half billion tons of figs grown worldwide. Two and a half billion tons of figs. Now that is a whole lot of figs, but surprisingly enough, it's not actually enough figs to make it one of the 10 most popular fruits worldwide. But even though figs aren't exactly a popular fruit worldwide, they have been a staple of Mediterranean diets for more than 5,000 years. And since most of the Bible takes place around the Mediterranean Sea over the last 5,000 years, we actually get quite a few references to figs throughout the Bible. The first references to figs that we find in the Bible happen in Genesis chapter 3. This is where Adam and Eve make themselves garments out of fig leaves after they eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. The last reference that we get to figs in the Bible comes from Revelation chapter 6, where when the sixth seal on the scroll that Jesus is holding in his hands is opened, we're told that the stars start falling from the sky like the fruit from a fig tree falls in a mighty wind. In Jesus' life alone, there are at least seven different stories that involve figs. So all totaled throughout the Bible, there are at least 39 different references to figs. So at this point, you have probably already learned more about figs than you ever knew before, and probably more than you actually wanted to know. So you might be wondering, what in the world does all of this talk about figs have to do with anything? Well, believe it or not, Figs are actually going to help us learn how we can follow God when we face difficult times in our lives. And that is what we're talking about at Melbourne Heights right now. 
We're talking about how we can follow God even in difficult times. Because here's the truth. Even though Easter Sunday is just a couple of weeks away, all of our problems don't go away just because Easter's almost here. Our lives are not all sunshine and rainbows just because Easter has almost arrived. So the truth is that we still face difficult times. So we need to know how we can follow God in the face of these difficult times. So that's what we've been exploring over the last few weeks at Melbourne Heights. And we've been doing that by taking a look at how Jesus followed God during one of the most difficult times, not only in his life, but in the entire history of our faith. And these events, these difficult times that Jesus faced, they occur during Holy Week, which was the week leading up to Jesus's crucifixion. So today we're going to be looking at an event that takes place on the Tuesday of Holy Week. And this story we find in Matthew chapter 21. But before we start reading that, let me just remind you that Matthew is one of the four books that begin the New Testament. And we refer to the first four books in the New Testament as the Gospels. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these four books are the Gospels. And we call these books the Gospels because the word gospel means good news. And all four of these books tell us the good news of Jesus. So they're essentially biographies of Jesus. And in Matthew's case, in his gospel, we're going to find stories about Jesus' birth, and we'll find stories about Jesus' mother. We'll find stories about Jesus' ministry and the miracles that Jesus performed. We'll find stories about Jesus' crucifixion, as well as the events that take place in the week leading up to his crucifixion. And that's what we want to look at today. We want to look at what happens on the Tuesday of Holy Week the week leading up to Jesus' crucifixion. So here's how Matthew tells us the story of what happened leading up or on the Tuesday of Holy Week. In Matthew chapter 21, we'll start reading in verse 18. Here's what Matthew writes. Early in the morning, as Jesus was returning to the city, he was hungry. He saw a fig tree along the road and he came to it. He found nothing except leaves. Then he said to it, you'll never again bear fruit. The fig tree dried up at once. When the disciples saw it, they were amazed. How did the fig tree dry up so fast, they asked. Jesus responded, I assure you that if you have faith and don't doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, you will even say to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the lake, and it will happen. If you have faith, you will receive whatever you pray for. Now, I'll be the first to admit that the story that we just read seems like a little bit of a strange interlude in the events of Holy Week. The truth of the matter is that when you think about the story that we just read, it really doesn't seem to fit with everything else that happens during Holy Week. I mean, on the Sunday of Holy Week, you have the story of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And then on Monday, you have the story of Jesus entering into the temple and driving out the money changers and the animal vendors. On Thursday of Holy Week, you get the story of Jesus celebrating and observing his last Sunday with his disciples. And on Friday of Holy Week, Jesus is put on trial, convicted, and ultimately crucified. And all of those stories, those stories all feel like big stories. Those stories all feel like they are important stories. All of those stories are the kinds of stories that feel like they could change your life and could change our world. But the story that we just read has Jesus causing a fig tree to wither up. 
And that just doesn't seem like it's that big of a story. That doesn't feel like it's that important of a story. That doesn't feel like it's the kind of story that could change your life or could change our world. So this story of Jesus causing this fig tree to wither up just doesn't seem to fit. That is, it doesn't seem to fit unless you realize how important the idea of producing fruit is throughout Jesus' ministry. And it is an important idea that Jesus emphasizes time and time again. One place where we see this emphasized in Jesus' ministry is in another one of the Gospels, in Luke chapter 13. So we want to take a look at what Luke writes inside of this passage, and we'll see how important it is to produce fruit. So Luke chapter 13, we'll start reading together in verse 1. Here's what Luke writes. Some who were present on that occasion told Jesus about the Galileans whom Pilate had killed while they were offering sacrifices. He replied, Do you think the suffering of these Galileans proves that they were more sinful than all the other Galileans? No, I tell you. But unless you change your heart and lives, you will die just as they did. What about those 18 people who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Do you think that they were more guilty of wrongdoing than everyone else who lives in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you change your hearts and lives, you will die just as they did. Now, I want to stop right here for just a minute. And yes, I do realize that in the five verses we just read, there is not a single mention of figs or fig trees or fruit at all. And I promise we'll get to that part. But first, we need to take a minute and understand what's happening in this passage. So in this passage, Jesus is doing something that Jesus commonly does. He's out teaching to the crowds. And there are some folks in the crowd who come to Jesus that day, and they bring him some disturbing news. They tell Jesus that there were some men from Galilee, which just happens to be Jesus's neck of the woods. And these men went down to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices in the temple. Now remember, we talked about this last week. Anyone who went down to the temple was required to offer sacrifices. But when these men get to the temple, the Roman governor appointed over Jerusalem sends soldiers into the temple and has these men slaughtered. And the crowd come to Jesus asking him about it. But we can tell from Jesus' response to what they bring to this news that they're more than just catching Jesus up on current events. They want Jesus to answer a question that all of us have wrestled with. These folks know that something incredibly bad has just happened, and they can't figure out why. So they come to Jesus, and they want him to explain to them how they can continue to follow God even in the face of this kind of tragedy. So Jesus is kind of put on the spot. But Jesus' answer to this question is actually going to be a little bit surprising. And really the question that these people want to know the answer to is they want Jesus to explain to them why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Why does God let bad things happen to good people? It's a tough question. And it's the kind of question that we have all spent some time asking over the course of the last year. Over the course of the last year, more than 110 million people worldwide have been infected with the COVID-19 virus including over 25 million Americans. On top of that, more than 2.5 million people worldwide have had COVID-19 contribute to their deaths. So all of us are wondering why. Why has something so bad happened to so many 
good people. That's what the crowd come to Jesus, wanting to know his response to. They want Jesus to answer that question. But the way that Jesus is going to respond to that question is different than what we would expect. And the way that he responds is he starts trying to change the way that people are thinking about this question. He wants to point out a problem with the way that they've been thinking about it. So how did Jesus respond when the group comes to him and they ask him about what happened to these men from Galilee when they went to the temple? Well, Jesus asked them this question. Do you think the suffering of these Galileans proves that they are more sinful than all other Galileans? And what Jesus is doing here is he's pointing out a problem with their thinking. And the problem with their thinking that's happened here is that the folks that are gathered in that crowd, and so many of us have come to believe that God would never allow a bad thing to happen to a good person. So for this national tragedy to have occurred where these men were slaughtered inside of the temple, they could not have been good people. They must have done something bad, something sinful that caused this to happen to them. But when Jesus asks this question, he also answers it for them. He says, do you think the suffering of these Galileans proves that they were more sinful than all other Galileans? Jesus says, no. And then he goes on and he talks with them about another national tragedy that had taken place. This one occurs in the area of Siloam where a tower falls over and it kills 18 different people. And Jesus asks this crowd, he says, do you think that those people that were killed when that tower fell were more guilty of wrongdoings than everyone else who lives in Jerusalem? And again, the answer to that question is no. So Jesus is highlighting this misunderstanding that we have. And the truth is that we continue to have this misunderstanding today. We have a lot of misunderstandings when it comes to the problem of pain and suffering inside of our world. And in his book, Dancing with Wolves While Feeding the Sheep, Ray Anderson, who is a former professor of theology at Fuller Theological Seminary, highlights these misunderstandings that we have, and he also shows us how dangerous and damaging these misunderstandings can be. So let me share with you a story that Dr. Anderson tells. And in this story, he has a mother that comes to speak with him, seeking some pastoral counseling after an unspeakable tragedy in her life. And the, then she experiences an insensitive response from her church. But here's how Dr. Anderson tells the story. Her story was tragic and disturbing. Six months prior to her coming to me for pastoral guidance, her seven-year-old daughter had died of a brain aneurysm on a Sunday evening while she and her husband were attending a service in their church. The child had been left home with a babysitter, and they were summoned out of the service by paramedics who responded to the call for help. Tragic as this sudden death was, what happened next was disturbing and the cause of outrage directed against God. The funeral service for her little girl was held in the church with the pastor officiating. During the service, in an attempt to bring some meaning and comfort to her parents, the pastor suggested that God wanted to bring spiritual renewal to the members of the church and had selected one of their most prominent families and had taken their daughter home to be with the Lord, where she would be much better off than to live in this world. God's purpose in doing this, their pastor went on to say, was to cause the members of the church to reflect upon the brevity of their life and to call them to repentance and renewed commitment to the Lord. The pastor followed it up by giving an invitation to those who wish to acknowledge their new commitment to Christ to come forward for a time of prayer and dedication. Not surprisingly, after the service finished, 
the mother of that seven-year-old little girl never went back to that church again. In both of these stories, the story of the crowd coming to Jesus and telling him about this tragedy that fell on folks from Galilee when they went to the temple to worship, and the story of a mother who turned to Dr. Anderson for pastoral counseling after experiencing a tragedy that most of us could not even begin to fathom, and then on top of that she had to deal with the insensitive and flat-out heretical remarks of her pastor. Both of these stories, they show us how difficult it is to try to answer the question of why does God let bad things happen to good people? And they also show us how damaging that can be to people's faith. So it shouldn't be too surprising to us that when the crowd comes to Jesus and they essentially ask him the question of why does God let bad things happen to good people, that Jesus doesn't even attempt to answer the question. Instead, what Jesus does is he tells them a parable. And a parable is just a short story with a point. And what is this parable about that Jesus tells them? Well, this is where we get back to the fig part of our sermon. So in Luke chapter 13, verse 6, I want to take a look at this passage and share with you Jesus' parable. Luke 13, verse 6, here's what Jesus says. A man owned a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it and found none. He said to his gardener, look. I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree for the past three years, and I've never found any. Cut it down. Why should it continue depleting the soil's nutrients? The gardener responded, Lord, give it one more year, and I'll dig around it and give it fertilizer. Maybe it will produce fruit next year. If not, then you can cut it down. Now, the Gospel of Luke doesn't go on to tell us how the people in the crowd responded to Jesus' parable. But I have to figure they, that they responded in one of two ways. The first way that they had to respond is they had to be frustrated. I mean, they came to Jesus with a serious question that people have been wrestling with for as long as we've walked this earth. Why does God let bad things happen to good people? And what does Jesus do? Instead of answering their question, Jesus tells them a story about a vineyard owner, a gardener, and a fig tree that's not growing any figs. So that had to frustrate them. And if they weren't frustrated by Jesus' response, then the other way that they had to feel about it is they just had to be flat out confused. Because what Jesus says, it doesn't make any sense. What Jesus says in this parable is kind of the equivalent of having somebody walk up to you and ask you, what is the answer to life's biggest question? And you tell them, 42. It just doesn't make sense. But you know what? There's a reason why Jesus' answer doesn't make sense. And it's because Jesus isn't even attempting to answer the question of why does God allow bad things happen to good people? Because here's the truth. Jesus knows that there is no good answer to that question. There is no way that we can answer that question. And he knows that even attempting to answer that question is going to end up being a fruitless endeavor. No pun intended. So what Jesus does, instead of answering the question that the people ask, the question of why, is he starts trying to change the way that they think about the problem of pain and suffering in the world altogether. Instead of continuing to focus in on the question of why, Jesus starts trying to change the crowd's thinking and make them think of how. Instead of asking why do bad things happen to good people, Jesus wants the crowd to think about how do we continue to follow God in difficult times.
How do we continue to follow God in difficult times? And that's an important question for us to ask because that question actually has an answer to it. And in this passage, the, the beauty of this passage is the way that Jesus answers this question is so simple yet so profound. What Jesus tells these people when they come to him wondering about this problem of pain and suffering in this world is that if you want to continue to follow God even when you face difficult times, you have to produce fruit. You have to produce fruit. It's that simple, but it's also that powerful. And that brings us back to the first story that we read, the story that takes place on the Tuesday of Holy Week. Why is this story included inside of the story of Holy Week? Right in the middle, right between when Jesus triumphantly enters into Jerusalem and not long before he will end up crucified on Good Friday. Why does this story take place? Well, this is Jesus taking the chance to remind his disciples what it means to follow Jesus. And if we want to follow Jesus, Jesus needs his disciples to know that we have to produce if we want to follow Jesus, we have to produce fruit. So that's what Jesus is telling them. He's telling them you must produce fruit. And Jesus is doing this for a reason. Jesus is telling them this on the Tuesday of Holy Week because Jesus knows what's about to happen the rest of Holy Week. He knows it's not going to be long before he is arrested and put on trial and convicted and then ultimately crucified. So Jesus knows that he is about to face one of the most difficult times in his entire life. But he also knows that the disciples are about to face one of the most difficult times in their life as well. And Jesus knows what they are going to be tempted to do. He knows that after he is crucified, his disciples are going to be tempted to lock themselves away, to curl up in a ball, and to just try to hide away forever. And if you keep reading what happens after Jesus' crucifixion, that's exactly what the disciples do. They lock themselves up in an upper room, and it seems like they just want to curl up in a ball and hide away forever. But Jesus takes this little detour to give the disciples a very visual reminder that some things never change. When you were a follower of Jesus, you were always expected to produce fruit. You're always expected to produce fruit, no matter how good or how bad things may be. But here's what we need to realize here. Inside of the parable that Jesus told, the parable of this vineyard owner going to his gardener, the vineyard owner, he wanted he wanted his fig tree to produce fruit. And the problem was it wasn't doing that. And Jesus, he wants us to produce fruit as well. But what we need to realize is that we're not talking about growing figs in our own life, okay? What we're talking about is growing what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit, according to Paul, is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. This is the kind of fruit that Jesus wants us to be producing in our lives, the fruit of the Spirit. So even when we face difficult times, we need to make sure that we are still producing this kind of fruit. And you know what? That's exactly what our church has been doing over the course of this pandemic. I mean, let's stop and think about everything that's been going on in this church over the course of the last year. Over the course of the last year, we reached a point where it was no longer safe for us to offer in-person worship services. And we could have tried to close up shop at that point. But instead, what we did is we started worshiping together online. 
And I want you to realize how big the fruit is that we've been producing through worshiping together online. Over the course of the last year, we have literally had thousands of people from at least 43 different states and 37 different countries worship with us online. Now, before this pandemic began and we were only worshiping together in person, on a good Sunday, we might see 100 different people from two different states. But through this pandemic, we have been ministering to thousands of people all across the country and all across the globe. That's pretty good fruit that we've been producing as we've shared the gospel of Jesus all across the world. But that's not all that our church has been doing. We've also been continuing our relationship and really ramped it up with the Cabbage Patch Settlement House. Now, the Cabbage Patch House, they work with over 1,000 at-risk kids in our community every single year. And one of the biggest needs that they've had over the course of the last year has been driven by the financial situation that so many people have found themselves in as a result of this pandemic. The Cabbage Patch House has had an increased demand on their food pantry because more and more people haven't been able to afford to keep food on their table. So last year alone, the Cabbage Patch House passed out nearly 3,000 bags of groceries, which is about 2,000 more bags of groceries than they've ever passed out in a year before. And our church, through our work with them by collecting non-perishable food items and personal hygiene items, we have worked to keep the Cabbage Patch House and their pantry stocked to provide food for these people in need. And on top of that, think about what we've done with the Salvation Army and the Angel Tree program. Again, last year, the demand on the Salvation Army's Angel Tree program was higher than it's ever been before. Last year, about 10,000 families in the city of Louisville alone, 10,000 kids, needed the Angel Tree to provide Christmas gifts for them. In our church, we took care of over 115 of these kids, providing them with toys and clothes and whatever other items may have fallen on their list. We made sure that over 115 kids got to have a Merry Christmas in spite of the difficult times that their families were facing financially. That's what it means to produce fruit even in the face of difficult times. And that's exactly what God expects you to do. If you are a follower of Jesus, God expects you to produce fruit, no matter what else may be happening. And the story that we read that takes place in Holy Week, Jesus knows that the disciples are about to face an extremely difficult time, a time where they are going to be tempted to stop producing fruit. But he takes that little detour on the way to the cross to remind them This is what you have to do. You can't go days or weeks or months or even years without producing fruit just because you're going through a hard time. Because this expectation, it never changes. If you follow Jesus, you have to produce fruit. You have to produce love and joy, peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. That's what it means to follow Jesus. So my question for you, as you think about how you have followed God over the course of the last year, as we've lived through one of the most difficult times in the last century, is have you been producing fruit? Let's pray together. God, as we come to you in this time of prayer, the simple reality is that we don't always do a great job of doing what you want us to do. God, you have told us and shown us how important it is for us to produce fruit in our lives, but we don't always do it. 
We make excuses. We say that we're going through a tough time and we can't possibly be expected to hold up our end of the bargain when it comes to following you. But God, through these stories that we've heard today, your expectation never changes. You want us to produce spiritual fruit. So God, show us how we can do that. Convict us of when we stop trying to let this fruit grow in our lives. And let us be who you have created us to be. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, everybody, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that this episode has challenged you to produce fruit in your life, and not fruit like a fig tree, but the fruit of the Spirit. I hope that this has challenged you to produce love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. Because that's what God expects out of all of us, no matter what circumstances or situations we find ourselves in. Now, in our next episode, we're going to continue to explore different stories that take place during Holy Week. And we're going to specifically be looking at what happens on the Thursday of Holy Week, when Jesus has his last supper with his disciples. So we hope that you'll come back and join us when our next episode drops. That next episode will drop on Sunday afternoon. Uh, And as always, if you subscribe to our podcast, it'll be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. And also remember that you can join us live every Sunday on our church's website at mhb. Louisville.com slash live. We worship at 1030 a.m. Eastern time and we would love to have you. So until next time, I hope that you guys have a great week and we'll see you back here soon for another sermon podcast.